0: It's Tuesday, February 9th. I'm Oscar Ramirez in Los Angeles, and this is The Daily Dive. With the current state of the coronavirus pandemic, it seems that the virus is here to stay for the long term. It is easily transmissible, we have new strains, and it will still take time to vaccinate the world. While we may not have the most restrictive measures in place forever, it will eventually be endemic, something we learn to live with, and it will also mean big business. Drew Hinshaw, senior reporter at The Wall Street Journal, joins us for why COVID is here to stay. Next, the loss of smell and taste that people experience is one of the most common symptoms of COVID-19. For some, it can come back quickly enough, but then steps in a distortion of those familiar smells. Months later, people can have this lingering effect, leading them to try anything to get it back. One of the techniques that people are using to retrain their brains is called smell train. Brittany Mejia, reporter at the LA Times, joins us for more. Finally, as more people are being vaccinated every day, people are starting to look forward to the little things again, grocery shopping without worries, dining out, going to the movies, and seeing friends and family more often. One of the bright spots is that since older Americans are up first to get their vaccines, they are the ones that are ready to go back out and get back to normal. Jem Bartholomew, freelance reporter, joins us for all the little joys people are looking forward to after getting vaccinated. It's news without the noise. Let's dive in.
1: You know, you hear a lot about Australia, New Zealand. There are still cases there. They're low, single digits average, but there's still cases. Cities locked down over one or two cases there. You know, that's a preview of just how even the most successful countries, they don't live a post-COVID life.
0: Joining us now is Drew Hinshaw, senior reporter at The Wall Street Journal. Thanks for joining us, Drew. Thanks for having me. I wanted to talk about the current state of the coronavirus, and it seems like it's going to be here to stay. What we're seeing right now is the virus obviously is very easily transmissible. We have a lot of people that are asymptomatic that can transmit it as well. There's new strains of the virus popping up. The vaccination program has stumbled so far. It's ramping up, but, you know, it's still very slow to take, and it's going to be very slow to get everybody vaccinated. And what's going to happen because of this? It seems like coronavirus will be big business for many years to come. And it goes through everything, you know, testing. Obviously, the vaccination programs are going to be going. It's going to impact businesses in a different way. This thing will become endemic, I yeah. guess, is the proper term for it. So, uh, Drew, tell us about this. Uh, walk us through some of it.
1: Yeah, I think we're in a kind of paradoxical phase where we are really hoping, with good reasons to hope, that the vaccine drive will Soon, see a, a big decrease in hospitalizations. ICUs won't be so full. You're going to see, you know, fewer severe cases for sure of COVID, especially among you know the vaccinated groups. So we're in this paradoxical phase where, yeah, like we've got these vaccines, and there's, if you look at what's happened in Israel, where cases have uh, hospitalizations have fallen by like thirty percent in the past few weeks as they've been vaccinating so many people. That's hopeful. But there's this industry that's basically building up around the fact that, well, COVID might not be as serious in the, you know, sort of medium term future as it was, you know, the past few months, but it's going to be around for a long time. The number of tests that are being made is going up. It's not going down. You would kind of intuitively think, oh, COVID tests are not going to be a big business in a year. So we have got these vaccines. No one's going to need them. Well, the people who are betting their money on this are saying the opposite. They're saying... You know, there's going to be need for millions of tests. People who want to go visit their family or go to a basketball game or a concert or something going to want to get a test.
0: While we might not see some of the most restrictive measures in place, the other part of it, you know, big business of of masks, ventilation, proper ventilation in buildings for schools and businesses. You know, this is all far reaching effects that are going to be part of us for years to come.
1: We are talking about a disease that is going to be in a phase of to use a somewhat technical term, vaccine-managed endemicity, where we've got this disease, it's going to be extremely hard to eradicate on a global scale, even within countries. Some of the most successful countries have not actually eliminated it. You know, you hear a lot about Australia, New Zealand. There are still cases there. They're low, single digits average, but there's still cases. Cities locked down over one or two cases there. You know, that's a preview of just how even the most successful countries, they don't live a post-COVID life. They live with this sort of thing flickering off, in the corner of society
0: there's only one virus that has been eradicated completely that's smallpox humans. But, uh, uh, yep. yeah other diseases like polio i didn't know it was just so weird eliminated in the u.s in the 70s in europe not until 2002 and there's still pockets of afghanistan and pakistan which this pops up in. so and you know this is a respiratory disease covid mostly i guess primarily right, right. And, and you know these are even more difficult to get rid of one of the astonishing facts like, you know, that came out last
1: year was there was this thing called the Russian flu in the 1890s. You know, it killed a million people. And one of the common symptoms was people lost their sense of smell and taste. And last year, some researchers in Denmark did some studies and came to the conclusion that this thing called the Russian flu is a coronavirus. And more incredibly, that coronavirus is still with us today. It's attenuated. It's not as virulent or as harmful as it used to be. Now, we shouldn't assume that SARS-CoV-2, the virus that causes COVID, is going to become like weak, like an ordinary flu. Uh, We shouldn't assume that. But, you know, it gives you the idea these these respiratory diseases and and coronaviruses, from what we've seen in history, they stick around. They're hard to eradicate.
0: Vaccines, you know, it's going to take a long time before people across the world have access to this. There's still no vaccine yet for children, for young children on this. So that will take Mm -hmm. some time. And then the treatments beyond that. We're learning about all these long-term effects, you know, the brain fog, the loss of sense of smell and taste, as you mentioned. So even treatments for all these things and the vaccines will have to constantly be improved. This kind of goes back to that notion of COVID will be big business for many years to come.
1: Yeah, and there's a really big problem happening in the global, I guess we call it the global south, countries that have like no expectation of, of getting a vaccine to cover their population this year. Like Nigeria's 206 million people. They're getting enough vaccine to cover maybe eight million people in the next six months. And you're seeing, like, in South Africa, there's this this new strain, and, and some of the vaccines that we have are not nearly as effective against it, at least in preventing like mild cases. They do seem to prevent, or we can hope that they prevent like death and then like severe illness. Right. But we're seeing already that there's strains coming from different parts of the world that are beating our vaccines in some ways. And There's this gap that we have to really worry about. There's like this two-year period where at least two years, there's like not enough vaccines for these countries. And this is sort of a problem that like nobody has really taken global leadership of. You know, I mean, China donates some vaccines here. The the kind of the multilateral system with a lot of European donors, they donate some vaccine here. The US hasn't done much at all on this front. There's like a real problem with pockets of people who are not going to get vaccinated this year and who will get infected and who new strains will develop in.
0: Drew Hinshaw, senior reporter at the Wall Street Journal. Thank you very much for joining us.
1: Yeah, thanks too. It's great to, great to chat.
2: Like one woman who suffered from anosmia, there was a fire in her kitchen trash can and she didn't realize that was the case until she turned and saw it because she couldn't smell the smoke. Joining
0: us now is Brittany Mejia, reporter at the LA Times. Thanks for joining us, Brittany. Thanks so much for having me. One of the most curious things to me throughout this whole pandemic and COVID-19 has been the loss of smell and taste. When people get COVID, this happens to a lot of people. I think it was like over 80% of people experience some form of this. Now, there's other people that get kind of more severe symptoms of this and it you know, maybe the smell comes back, but then things are flipped upside down and everything smells weird, gross smelling things. I thankfully, knock on wood, have not had COVID-19 Yet, So it's very curious to me. But uh, in the latest story that you wrote, you talk about people months later are doing anything they can to get it back, seeing oncologists to get CT scans, seeing ear, nose and throat doctors, smelling essential oils. What's going on with uh, some of these people that are reporting this?
2: So it's been so interesting. I feel like loss of smell and taste is one of the first things that people kind of hit on as like, oh, I might have COVID. I should probably get tested. It's like the best, one of the best indicators actually that you have it. But I don't think people realize that how long this could drag on. And so often the people that I was interviewing, they just felt so out of sorts, like because they had expected it to come back within a few weeks. And in the majority of cases, it will return in a few weeks. So in those cases, where it dragged on for four months, six months. People are just like, what can I do? I I need my sense of smell back. I mean, there's just so much around sense of smell that we don't realize how crucial it is. Losing
0: your sense of smell completely is called anosmia. And then let's say it comes back. And this is what a lot of people report, right? That strawberries smell like trash or something smells like burning rubber. You know, the, the, Mm -hmm. the smells are flipped. That's called parosmia. And this is kind of where people kind of go crazy over it because it just doesn't come back the same way. So, you know, and the business of restoring that smell is booming right now. What are we seeing on that front?
2: there's clinical trials happening around you know using essential oils and having people smell essential oils with the intent of it retraining your brain to remember the smells so there are so many things happening kind of across the country because researchers have never had an opportunity like this to see such i mean it they estimate that like five to ten percent of the population is suffering kind of this long-term issue of the smell loss or the smell kind of distortion so it's giving them this opportunity to really dig in and do clinical trials and try to get to the bottom of what's happening here and at the same time you're seeing a lot of people kind of turning to these essential oils, creating their own smell kits or purchasing their own smell kits.
0: The loss of sense of smell and taste, obviously, is not specific to COVID. You know, people with other disorders, other illnesses can get this. So but as you mentioned, with so many people now experiencing the same thing, there's more interest in looking into it. So smell training is one of these things. And as you mentioned, there's clinical trials starting now where people are training themselves. I I think uh, one of the researchers said they let people pick, you know, a certain number of smells and you kind of smell it every day to train yourself. One of the main smells people pick is smoke. I guess they're afraid of maybe not being able to sense if there's a fire around or something.
2: Right, exactly. I mean, that's the safety aspect of smell for us. I mean, you smell gas leak, you know, to get out of the house. Like, You smell a fire, you know, obviously you need to get out of that situation. And I was interviewing people who like one woman who suffered from anosmia, there was a fire in her kitchen trash can and she didn't realize that was the case until she turned and saw it because she couldn't smell the smoke. I mean, it's just kind of crazy. Like in these situations, it just really is disorienting and it really kind of puts you a little bit more at risk. So people were kind of like, oh, let me retrain on smoke if that's a possibility, because I do want to be able to tell if there's a fire.
0: Tell us a a few more stories of some of the people you spoke to. Uh, One woman in particular, Marion Castro Salzman. I mean, she had an interesting journey through it. She lost it. It came back and she was like happy that it finally returned. But then she noticed how off everything was.
2: In many of these cases of people I was interviewing, including Mariana, it was starting to come back. They were starting to think, okay, I'm going to get my sense of smell back. I'm at like 50 percent now. I mean, she was able to smell her dog again and she cried because she just missed those smells so much. But then it's kind of like, wham, parosmia just hits them. And in her case, it's like flavored drinks started tasting metallic. It was rotten. Cilantro, onion, all of that tasted off. Like she stopped eating meat because she couldn't stand the smell, couldn't stand the taste of it because it was all just distorted. There were times, honestly, like she was explaining to me, there were just so many times she had breakdowns, like she would just go home and cry. And she was saying like, you know, I can't live like this. And so it, it does take such a toll, you know, in her case, too, just hearing her experience losing weight because she and often that was coming up. Actually, people were telling me that they've lost a bunch of weight because they don't eat the same way that they used to anymore because they just can't stand the taste that they once loved.
0: In her mm-hmm. case, did everything return to normal? I know she was practicing the smell training also. Did it work out for her?
2: So she's tried so many different things, but she does believe that the smell training has helped. I feel like her big thing is initially when she had parosmia, like at its peak, which was like July, August, it was really terrible. All the smells were just so overwhelming. But she says, I mean, it, she's still struggling with it even months down the line, mm-hmm. but she feels like the smells aren't as bad as they were at the start. Like they're still not great, but it's just kind of a, like, to a lesser extent.
0: As far as what the experts say, is, is that the best method of trying to retrain your brain, the smell training, or is there anything else that people have used with success?
2: So that's the main, it's so interesting to me because when I first started reporting this story, I was like, people sniffing essential oils, really? I just <laughs> I just immediately wrote it off because I didn't feel like there was anything that backed it up, but as I did more research and was seeing studies around it and seeing the fact that people are doing clinical trials around it and researchers are really saying, yes, try this because it can't hurt. I think the mentality is like, you don't know 100% if this is going to work for you. Like it might work for some people. It might not work for everybody. But again, it's like kind of what's the harm in trying. And so I've kind of heard mixed things from experts, but it was interesting to me to kind of see like the studies behind it and the fact that this has been a practice that's been done for like at least 10 years.
0: Brittany Mejia, reporter at the LA Times. Thank you very much for joining us.
2: Thanks so much for having me.
3: are really just finding joy in, in the small things that they've really missed and whether that's feeling more comfortable in the grocery store or volunteering at a local food bank. These are all sort of things people told me that they're really enjoying now they've had the vaccine. Joining us
0: now is Jem Bartholomew, freelance reporter for The Wall Street Journal and others. Thanks for joining us, Jem. Great to be here. We are currently going through the vaccine rollout. Uh, you know, it's had a, a troubled start. You know, we're increasing the doses that are being administered little by little, and you know, hopefully we can get as many people as we can vaccinated. Some of the latest news that we've been hearing is the U.S. government has authorized thousands of pharmacies to distribute the COVID vaccine, so you'll be able to get them at Walmart, CVS, Walgreens very soon just in this effort to ramp up distribution. But as people are getting these vaccines already, Jem, you spoke to a lot of people talking about how they just want to get back to normal. They're looking forward to doing their normal routines, but they're also finding joy in the very little things, like just going to the supermarket again and picking out their produce and whatnot. Reading through the story actually brought a smile to my face. You know, most of the people that are getting these vaccines are older people right now. It's just nice to see that you know, all these older people <laughs> want to get back out and get back to it. So Jem, tell me a little mm. bit more about it.
3: It's this kind of really strange situation really where, those seniors or healthcare professionals that have been able to navigate somewhat patchy rollout kind of faced three things. Most of the time, their family and friends aren't vaccinated, so they can't meet up with them. Bars, restaurants, cinemas, places where you'd normally socialize, mostly closed. And also, while the science is clear that the vaccine can stop acute illness, it's still unclear whether it can stop transmission of the virus. So people are sort of worried about bringing it back home. So as you say, in that circumstance, people are really just finding joy in in the small things that they've really missed. And whether that's feeling more comfortable in the grocery store or volunteering at a local food bank, these are all sort of things people told me that they're really enjoying now they've had the vaccine.
0: You spoke to someone who uh... He's a retired chef and he's like a blogger. He cooks at home and all that. He's like, I can't wait to get out to restaurants. And His wife hasn't been vaccinated yet, but he's like, I'm going to go anyways. I have to get back to it. I thought that was just hilarious.
3: (laughs) I spoke to Dennis in Florida. He said he was really looking forward to going to have a nice greasy burger at a, a local restaurant, which is open in Florida for him, a place that he wouldn't usually go with his wife. So he was using that opportunity. He's still planning to sit out on the sort of semi-outdoor patio I and mean, he will still be wearing a mask and so on he said so uh, he doesn't want to bring anything back but he's really uh, missed eating out and he told me he's looking forward to going and getting that burger
0: there's a family of the cooks that you spoke to also who are just are looking forward to going on a simple vacation with their family with their children and their ga- grandchildren i know a lot of that was stripped away from i mean pretty much the entire world this past year but that's why I love these types of stories, the looking forward to something. We need that light at the end of the tunnel. And that's what a lot of these things are. So tell me a little bit about uh, what mm-hmm. the Cooks are doing also.
3: So this is Pat and Patricia Cook. who are in North Carolina, known to friends as Pat and Pat. They had a pretty active lifestyle before the pandemic. They were on their local um, trails board and they volunteered at the local food bank. They've had their first shot now, and they've gone back to volunteering at the local food bank, which is great for them. They're also really looking forward to a family holiday in June, which is a kind of big event for them. And so far, that's still going ahead. So let's hope it does for them. And
0: what's the overwhelming sense that you get from all the people that you spoke to that have gotten their vaccine? They're they're looking for what's next. One of the people you spoke to said, hey, you know, it's not necessarily joy or celebration, it's relief that they can kind of start getting back to normal.
3: When I was reporting this sto- story, I'll admit I, I expected people to be popping open the champagne or celebrating in some way. But but really, it was more just a case of relief. And this crisis isn't over for everyone. And people that are vaccinated know that and life's not going to go back to normal for a while. But, you know, they're really feeling relieved that they feel a little bit more safe and they can enjoy those those little things in life that we've all missed so much over the past year.
0: Like I said, I, I read through this story and I had a smile on my face. What a great message. What a great feeling that you can see seniors, right? These are the only people that are obviously healthcare workers too, but the mm-hmm. broader rollout, right? Seniors are the first ones to be getting these vaccines and they're ready to get back out to it. They want to be out in public again. They want to do it. Like I said, that's what really uh, made me happy about this story. Jem Bartholomew, freelance reporter for The Wall Street Journal and others. Thank you very much for joining us.
3: Pleasure to be here.
0: That's it for today. Join us on social media at Daily Dive Pod on both Twitter and Instagram. Leave us a comment, give us a rating, and tell us the stories that you're interested in. Follow us on iHeartRadio or subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. This episode of The Daily Dive was produced by Victor Wright and engineered by Tony Sorrentino. I'm Oscar Ramirez, and this was your Daily Dive.